why did God create war? Why does God create murder? Why does God create all the, the horrific things we see in the news? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? Just walk into any children's hospital and you know there's no God. At least no good God. Maybe there's an evil God. Those children are dying at the same random rate, even though their parents are desperately praying, desperately loving those kids. Where did the Bible come from? Why is the Bible trustworthy? Um, who is God? Why is he so hidden? Why is he so hard to understand? All of these questions started popping up like crazy, and I, I couldn't control them. And I, I was trying desperately to find the answers. By the end of it, after several years, I finally had to be honest with myself and say, I don't believe in this anymore. God is supposed to show up when you seek him, and I sought him for years, and I didn't find him. And this is where I've come to. This is what I've concluded. Then he must not be there. Good morning. How you doing? Good, good, good. Well, we are glad uh, that you've decided to join us. I am especially glad. I'm excited for this morning. If you've decided to join us online, we're certainly glad you are there too. Speaking of deciding, a lot of decisions, right? Like think about it, this morning you've, you've already made probably more decisions than you're even aware of, right? Like how many of you, when your alarm went off, decided to hit that snooze button? Yeah, me too, guilty. Okay, how many of you don't even need an alarm? I envy you, I envy you. How many of you decided uh, to opt for some coffee at home? Right, or maybe tea, a tea drinker, anyone? Yeah, I think, I think you're in the wrong place. I think you were looking for Great Britain. This is America, we like coffee. How many of you uh, decided that you would stop at Starbucks on the way? Let's see what, what kind of revenue we're turning over to Starbucks, yeah. I see, some, I see some boys pointing to their moms, I love that. Yeah, just make sure your dad didn't see it, okay. What about how many of you already knew what you were going to wear this morning? Okay, how many of you, these are my people, decided that you would just wear what you wore last night? Okay, my wife gives me a hard time for this, but, but here's, let me, t- let me tell you my logic. I think it's convincing. You know, you wear it Saturday afternoon, evening, that's half a day. Sunday morning, that's a half a day. That equals a full day, and so then it's dirty, okay? You do have to go home and change because then it'll be dirty. But, but either way, you've, you've made more decisions than you probably even realized this morning. In fact, research says that we make as many as 35,000 decisions a day. From smaller decisions like, should I hit the snooze button or not? What to wear or do I listen to a podcast or Spotify on the way to work or school? And then of course there's the larger decisions. Like, where am I gonna go to college? What am I gonna do after I graduate? How much house can I afford? Who should I marry? When will I get to be married, where should I invest my money, at what age can I retire? It's, it's not a stretch to say that really the human existence boils down to the decisions we make. And I think that's why Robert Frost, the American poet said, two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood. I think what that is to say is that Life is a series of diverging roads where we are forced to make a decision. And if you're a Christ follower, that's especially true. 
If you're a Christ follower, every day, maybe even every hour, you are presented with a diverging of two roads, a fork in the road, and in one direction is the road towards obedience and the life that God has called you to, and the other direction is the road of disobedience that the world is calling you towards. And as much as we would like, sorry, you cannot travel both. You cannot take the middle road when there's a fork in the road. As you saw in the, in the video that just played, we're starting a new series called, Hey God, Where Are You? And, and really the heart of this series is that over the next several weeks, we're gonna contemplate that familiar space that sort of the circumstances of life often force us into where all we can do is cry out, hey God, where are you? And in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about things like where is God in persecution? Where is God in doubt? Where is God in chaos? But, but this morning, we're gonna press into the question of where is God when we run? Where is God when I run? Where is God when my appetite for sin it's too much. Where is God when I find myself in the place that I never thought I would go? Where is God when I deliberately run in the direction of disobedience? Where is God when I run? I think, I think a helpful book to look at this morning, if this is the question that we wanna try and answer, is Jonah. I've always really liked the story of Jonah, and not just because there's a big whale in it, but because in a lot of ways, I see some of my story in the story of Jonah. And real simply, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Jonah, the sort of arc of Jonah is, is kind of in three movements, especially the first two chapters. Jonah's called by God, Jonah runs, God rescues. Now honestly, my life has been a series of God calling me, and by the way, if you're a Christ follower, he's calling you too, and I've run. I've run at times from that calling and God has always rescued me. If I had to guess, that's probably pretty similar to your story too. And so, with the task at hand, where is God when we run, let's press in to the book of Jonah, chapter one, verses one through three. If you'd like, you can get it out on your phone, you can open up your Bible, it'll also be on the screens behind me. Beginning in verse one of Jonah one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So where are we? Verse one, chapter one. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And at the utterance of the King Almighty, Jonah is suddenly thrusted into two diverging roads, forced to make a decision. One direction, one road leads to Nineveh, which seems like the obvious choice, right? Clearly it says that God has called him. It does, but let's also consider Nineveh for a moment. You see, Nineveh was not a good place, especially for a Hebrew fellow. It, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. They were the sort of arch nemesis of the Israelites. In fact, another prophet in the Old Testament, Nahum, says that Nineveh is a city of bloodshed. He goes on to say, Nahum, that there are so many casualties in Nineveh, get this, that people stumble over the corpse. 
It is a city filled with lust and evil desire. So now, it makes a bit more sense that maybe Jonah tarried in Joppa a little bit, possibly exploring what alternative destinations might be departing out of the port that morning. And before you judge Jonah too harshly, we we probably need to hold this passage up to ourselves. And and as I have done this this week, in considering what it means to be called, I, I keep going back to what David preached two weeks ago into the harvest. Remember, he asked us a question. He asked us, what are you prepared to do? And, and as, I, as I think about that question, as I think about it in terms of Jonah, the question that keeps coming to mind is where am I prepared to go? Yeah, what am I prepared to do, but also where am I prepared to go? What road am I prepared to travel? Because the odds are, God is probably going to lead you to a road that ends with your very own Nineveh. And if you're sitting around waiting for God to call you someplace easier than your own personal Nineveh, you're probably gonna be sitting around for a while because at least when I look at the scriptures, I don't think God makes much of a habit of calling people to easy places. And so he's probably gonna call you to your own Nineveh. And and maybe your Nineveh will look like a desolate in dark place, like Jonah, like historical Nineveh. But, but in our context, it, it might look something like you showing hospitality to a neighbor that you know does not agree with what you believe. They don't live the same life as you, and yet you can't shake this yearning in your spirit that God might be calling you towards those neighbors. And you argue with God, and you say, God, why them? What about any other neighbor? Can't you call me to the neighbor that has the American flag in their front yard and the little cross bumper stickers on the back of their minivan? They seem like a lot easier. Or maybe... Maybe God is calling you to someone in your office. And maybe you have a history with, with someone at your company and you don't see eye to eye, you don't get along. They know what you believe and they want nothing to do with it. Maybe that's your Nineveh. Students, maybe God is calling you to proclaim truth in a hostile, dark cafeteria or dugout. But then again, for some of us, Your Nineveh might not be so much a road that the Lord is leading you towards, but maybe your Nineveh is something that the Lord is leading you away from. Maybe God is calling you to give up something. And just like Nineveh would have been a challenging place to reach, it seems daunting to give this up. Maybe the Lord is calling you to give up an unhealthy relationship. Maybe the Lord is calling you to give up working those weekend hours and sacrifice your chance at getting the promotion. Maybe God is calling you to admit that you might actually have a problem and an addiction issue and you need to start taking steps towards getting help. If you haven't, one day, one day you're gonna find yourself in Joppa you're gonna find yourself at the divergence of two roads forced to make a decision. And the odds are, at some point, you'll run. You'll run. You'll feel ill-equipped, inadequate. You'll feel that the task is too tall. And so you, like Jonah, you will pay the fare for Tarshish and you will run down the road of disobedience. 
I read recently a recent survey that said that on average, Gen Z and millennials, so think late teenage years all the way up to maybe early 40s, Gen Z and millennials, six out of 10, require an average of eight warning lights on their vehicle before they take it to a mechanic. <laughs> and as I'm thinking about that, I, like, I want to disagree, then I'm like, but really, like, how many warning lights are probably on my very car right now? But, but here's, why, here's why I bring that up. When you choose the road of disobedience, when you choose to go in the direction towards Tarshish, you ignore countless warning lights on your soul's dashboard. And, and look, it, it might work for a little while. You might be able to squeeze out a few weeks, a few days, ignoring those warning lights. But just like a car won't fix itself, at some point you ignore those warning lights long enough, you will find yourself broken down on the side of the road leading to Tarshish. But let me tell you some good news, but it's not gonna seem like good news at first. Jonah's God, our God, is far too unrelenting to let us ignore those warning lights forever. And that's exactly what is about to happen to Jonah. Look at verse four and five. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep. So, if what we said we wanted to answer is where is God when we run, then let me tell you where he is. He is literally rocking Jonah's boat in order to save him. He is sending a great wind, threatening to break everything apart. And, and here's what this means for us today. The Lord will use all of his infinite might, all of his power, all of his wisdom, and all of his knowledge to rescue his children. Simply put, not fun to hear at first, that God, God will allow pain and suffering and tragedy and calamity in our lives if it means getting our attention as we hightail it to Tarshish. And think about it. If you're a parent, this, this makes a little bit of sense, right? I discipline my kids. Parents, you probably discipline your kids, depending on your stage of parenting. My stage of parenting, discipline looks a lot like either taking a toy, putting it in the closet, or timeout, right? Those are kind of the two go-tos, right? And, and whenever we do one of these things, whenever we sort of enforce one of these disciplinary actions onto our four-year-old, he absolutely loses it. For him, it is a very real storm. And believe it or not, students, fifth and sixth graders, I promise you, myself and your parents, we don't do it because we like watching you be miserable. Right, parents? Okay, maybe some of yours do, I'm sorry. That's unfortunate, but I don't yet, yet, yet. I also don't have a fifth or sixth grader, right? But, but here's why I, I discipline my son. I am willing to wreck his little four-year-old world so he doesn't wreck his world when he's 40, okay? And so I discipline him, but it's because I love him and I care for him, okay? Maybe you, you're not a parent. I know not everyone in the room is the parent. I won't make you raise your hand, but have you ever got a speeding ticket, right? Why does your local municipality, your local city, why do they enforce speed limits? Because at some level, despite what you think, they agree that it is safest for you and the other travelers on the road 
if you adhere to the posted speed limit, right? And in the same way, whenever you fail to do that, you get a ticket. And next time you'll think twice when your foot gets a little heavy on the pedal. But, but here's the most important thing. God does not send us the storm because he wants to hurt us, but it's because he refuses to stay in Joppa while we run. Hebrews 12, six says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And it may seem like a storm, but it is because he cares for you, not because he wants to hurt you. And I don't know, I don't know what your storm will look like. I'll tell you two common storms that I've seen in my own life and that I've also seen walk in with other people. And the first one is God withholding what you long for. My wife, Ashley, and I, uh, we fell in love at first sight. That's absolutely not true. I fell in love at first sight. She fell um, very platonically in friendship with me or something for a solid two years. Uh, and it drove me crazy. It really did. It drove me crazy, and, and I was frustrated because I, I really desperately wanted to, to date her. I was attracted to her. I knew that she loved the Lord, and it just seemed like the Lord was blocking it. And that was probably 10 years ago, and let me tell you the hindsight I have now. That was the absolute kindness of the Lord and not allowing our relationship to move forward at that time, and here's why. I had a host of warning lights on my spiritual dashboard at that time. And the reality is, I, I don't think and I don't know why God would allow me, would entrust me with the care of one of his daughters until I got things right on my dashboard, until I got things right with him. And, and maybe for you, maybe you don't know why you can't seem to catch a break at work. You keep getting passed up for promotion by less qualified people. Check the dashboard, check the dashboard. It's not always gonna be a dashboard issue. It's a good place to check if you haven't. Maybe you long for marriage and you're still not and you're wondering when, if ever, it'll be your time. Check the dashboard. Again, it's not always gonna be the dashboard. Not every pain or trial is the Lord trying to get your attention in the way that he got Jonah's attention. But it's a good place to check. Or maybe for you students, maybe you open up your inbox you see the email from one of the colleges you applied and yet every single time you see that email, it reads the same thing. Dear so-and-so, we regret to inform you we don't have a spot for you in the class of 2028, 2029. The other storm I think that the Lord will often send, and frankly, I think this is scarier. It's God allowing you what you long for. Romans 1.24 says, therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires. Frankly, I think the storm sometimes can look like God saying, okay, you think you can find satisfaction on the road leading to Tarshish? Be my guest. But what you're gonna find is none of it amounts to anything. And so, so what, you, what you end up getting is, is what one of my favorite singer-songwriters right now, Zach Bryan says, is you get excess but it never leads to nothing. It just piles and piles and piles and piles. And, and you will find yourself perched atop of a pile of worldly achievements, but you will feel hollow and empty. And so I don't know what the storm is for you, but I do know the reason. The reason is because God cares for you deeply. 
And he loves you enough that he will shake up your life to get your attention as you flee to Tarshish. And his motives, his motives are never to hurt you. His motives are never to hurt you. It's always driven by love and care for you. And frankly, sometimes when we run, the question is less of, God, where are you? But God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this storm? Look at verse six. It says, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. I think it's interesting that the the captain of the ship probably gives Jonah the best advice that he receives in the whole book. Best worldly advice, human advice. He says, get up, you gotta call on your God. And, And so to fast forward a little bit, we're gonna skip down to verse 15, but I'll fill you in on what happens. Jonah gets up. I don't know that he calls on the Lord because it doesn't really say that, but he gets to sort of the, the top deck of the ship, if you will, and he and the other sailors, they cast lots. Okay, I know we don't cast a lot of lots anymore. Think about they roll dice. Jonah rolls snake eyes, and suddenly all fingers point to him, and he's like, yeah, guilty. I am kind of running from God, and he appears not to be very happy about that. And so the sailors lovingly throw him overboard. And that's where we'll pick back up in verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, told you, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the man greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to himself. So just a few days ago, to recap where Jonah's been. A few days ago, he found himself in Joppa, divergence of two roads, One leads to Nineveh, where the Lord is calling. One leads to Tarshish, the easy way. And he took the easy way. He ran from the Lord. And now he is descending into the depths of the ocean. He is falling swiftly into hopelessness. Kind of reminds me of a biography I read years ago about a man who in the late 1960s Barely weighed 150 pounds, tall dude. And, and he had been addicted to different drugs and alcohol for many years, in and out of rehab and hospitals. His career was ruined and soon his life would likely follow. Long gone was the man in black who once upon a time so confidently and poignantly greeted his adoring fans with his signature, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. The man that had shared a stage with Elvis, recorded some of country music's greatest songs and sang to rowdy crowds at Folsom Prison was a fading memory. And in October of 1967, he left his Nashville home, drove about an hour east to a cave system known as the Nickajack Caves in Tennessee. He went into the caves, no supplies, no flashlight, and no intention of ever leaving. And he walked until he could no longer walk, and he crawled until he could no longer crawl, and then eventually he arrived at a place that he decided would make a good enough grave for him. And he laid down in the darkness, waiting for death. And yet in his biography, he recalls that as he laid there, in the darkness of the Nickajack Cave, 
he began to feel an overwhelming sense of peace. And he didn't understand it at first. He had been awake for days. He, he had done so much harm to his body. It, it did not even seem plausible at the moment that he could feel any sort of peace. But it became so overwhelming that he actually got up. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as he got up, he began to crawl out. No flashlight, remember? And then as he crawled, he began to walk and he felt a wind at his back and then he went towards the wind and then he saw daylight. And that day, he left the cave that he never thought he would leave. And here's what he writes. He says in his biography that he went into that cave that morning thinking he would never be able to forgive himself for all the harm that he had done and that God would never forgive him. But he left the cave assured that God would and God had in fact forgiven him for the mess of his life. And here's, here's why I share that. Because as you begin to entertain the idea that your Nineveh, excuse me, your Tarshish, and your disobedience is what is going to define you. When you think that your life will forever amount to nothing more than a dark corner of the Nickajack cave system, when you think that you are too far gone, that's when miracles begin to happen. It does for Jonah. Look at this. Look at verse 17. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days in three nights. There is no place, there is no depth, there is no darkness that the Lord won't go to rescue his children. You get that, right? And, and for you, maybe the two roads, maybe the two roads diverged years ago. And shortly after you put your faith in Christ, you started taking the road towards disobedience. And since then, it has just been road after road after road in the direction of disobedience. Maybe you've just had a really bad week. Maybe on Monday you found yourself in Joppa and now you're on day six headed to Tarshish. I don't know. I don't know. But, but here's what I do know. Here's what I feel confident of. Anyone from Jonah to Johnny Cash, anyone that's ever been rescued from the darkness and emptiness of Tarshish, all have one thing in common. They collapse. They surrendered to the reality that there was nothing they could do to get back on the road headed towards obedience. And so they collapsed. In high school, I ran track and I ran the 300 meter hurdles. It was awful. I don't know why I would choose to run and jump at the same time. In every race, I would run, not get anywhere near first place, but I would honestly try my hardest and I would cross the finish line if you've watched track, you, you see people do this, or if you've run track, you know what I'm about to say probably. And I would take like three steps, the shortest amount of distance between the track and the infield. And as soon as I reached the infield, I would just collapse and lay down. I didn't care who was around. I didn't care if there was fans in the stands, cute girls walking by, I was just done. I was so overwhelmed with exhaustion that I just laid down. And, and I bring that up because in a lot of ways, I think that's what running from God can look like. As we run from God, as we run down the road to Tarshish, we get to a point, we come to the end of ourselves where we think, I can't take another step forward. And I don't care what it's gonna cost me, I don't care what people will think, but my only remaining option is to collapse 
and to collapse into the arms of the Father. And look what happens when we collapse. Look at what happens to Jonah. We're now in chapter two. Verse one says, from the inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. You see, whenever you collapse, whenever you come to the end of yourself on the road to Tarshish, the road of disobedience, and you call out to God, he hears your cry. It doesn't matter how dark, how deep, how far gone you are. He hears your cry. But he doesn't just hear it. He responds. Look at this in verse six. To the root of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath bared me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When you have plunged deeper than you could have ever imagined, when you have run further than you ever thought you were possible of running, when you are sinking down, God is stooping in to rescue you and to bring you up from the pit. That is the marvel of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I pray that I never get over and you never get over. And if your mind is not regularly just blown by that reality, that God would respond to our running with rescue and renewal and redemption. And, and here's the thing. I can't help but think that there might be someone, there might be someone out there this morning and maybe you're like, I don't even know why I'm here but as I'm trying to follow your mangled thoughts, I, I, I do feel like I have spent most of my life running. In fact, I didn't even know there was a divergence. I've just always kind of lived for the world and according to my own pleasure and desire. But maybe as you think about it this morning, you're tired, you're exhausted. And here's the good news, if that's you, you don't have to run another day. You don't have to run another minute all you have to do is call out. All you have to do is call on the name of Jesus and he will go into the pit and he will raise you up. And here's why. Here's why I'm confident of that. Because I'm confident that God sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect sinless life on our behalf. But he was persecuted and crucified on a cross and buried. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later and he conquered the pit. And since he conquered the pit, guess what that means? He can go back into the pit for anyone that calls upon the name of Jesus. And so this morning, this morning, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, you don't gotta run anymore. You know what would've been crazy? Is if I ran a 300 meter hurdle race and then continued to run. Why would anyone do that? You don't have to continue to run this morning. You just have to call upon the name of Jesus. For others of us in the room, some of you uh, are, are well on the road to Nineveh and following the Lord in obedience. And that's awesome. Praise God for that. But you have a response this morning too. Your response is probably like the captain of the ship. You probably know someone that's asleep. You probably have someone in your life that you need to tell to wake up and call on God. Maybe it's your one. Maybe it's your one. We're coming out of our 
into the harvest series and, and we've talked about how this year and we want it to be a year in which we as a church go into the harvest. And in a lot of ways, going into the harvest is a ministry of inviting people to wake up and call on the name of God. Invite them to Alpha. In fact, I know that these guys won't mind. When they start leading us in worship, if it helps, get your phone out now and text them. All right, strike while the iron's hot. Invite someone to Alpha if that's your response. For others of you, you know some folks that are on the road to Tarshish. You know some folks that you need to tell to wake up and call out to God. And maybe like Jonah, they know the Lord, but there's a lot of warning lights on their dashboard and they're running in the wrong direction. When I was in college, one of the nicest, kindest thing I ever had a couple friends do is they called me out for some stuff. And it was super awkward, like wasn't a fun conversation for them or for me. But I promise you, to this day, it's probably one of the nicest, if not nicest thing a friend has ever done for me. Make a plan, text someone. Again, I'm not trying to just have everyone on their phones during worship, I do apologize. I should have thought this through more, but I'm already in. Make a plan, text them, text them, say, hey, can you grab coffee tomorrow? If not Monday, what about Tuesday? If not Tuesday, what about Wednesday? If not, I am available and I just wanna meet with you and tell someone to wake up and call out to God. And then for others of you, you're on the road to Tarshish. And if that's you, as we've talked about, and your response is to collapse into the arms of the Father, be overwhelmed by his grace and mercy. The prayer team is gonna be up here if you want, you can come to one of these men or women and, and you can simply just say, hey, will, will you call out to God with me? They'd be glad to. They'd be glad to intercede on your behalf and call out to God with you. But here's the thing, wherever you're at, God loves you way too much to let you ruin your life in Tarshish. And so, are you ready? Are you ready to be rescued by the God of the universe and raised out of the pit of darkness. He's ready, he's ready, but are you? 35,000 decisions a day, and it all boils down to one. Which road will you take? Two roads diverged long ago, and I took the one less traveled, and it has made all the difference. Let's worship.